keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business. Welcome to The Quantum Leap Catalyst with Terry Ostroviak. In the next hour, Terry and his guests discuss how to accelerate your business success and turn possibility into certainty. So turn up your speakers and hold on. Here's your host of The Quantum Leap Catalyst, Terry Ostroviak. Hi, good morning everybody. This is Terry Ostroviak speaking to you from San Diego. We have a very, very interesting topic this morning, which... I'm going to read to you. It says, how can you expect to grow a company and manage the growth relying only on available talent that is out of work, unhappy with the current job, or by chance just found us? So that means that we're talking about high-impact players. How do we find them? Um, how do we find players that uh, we're looking for that, are specifically, that we specifically want to grow our companies when they're actually not out there looking for us. Our guest this morning is uh, the CEO of an executive search firm. In fact, he has a number of different companies. He specializes in growing small to medium-sized companies, their market share and profitability beyond the level they can grow on their own. His company is based in San Diego, California, but he also has offices in Europe and also in Asia. So let's welcome him today. His name is Harv Baron. Hi, Harv. Uh, good morning, Terry. <laughs> good to have you today. Good to be here. So we, we're going to be talking today about what an executive search firm does and what you do specifically. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Okay. Uh, essentially, I'll, I can't speak broadly for executive search firms, but I can speak uh, for our firm. And we have about 85 people in three countries, and we build companies. That's our specialty, and by building companies, that means we work primarily with small to medium-sized companies, taking to them to a level that they've reached and perhaps kept out at, and whatever they do, they can't seem to break above that in revenue or market share, and we take them to the next level. We also work with a few select very large companies. Uh, the largest I work with right now is a $50 billion worldwide company, as world market share and has in, is having difficulty growing that share further. Uh, my smallest company I'm working with now has a cutting-edge medical device product that's going to turn the pain management industry on its head, and we're building a sales force and a management team for them. Okay, so it's a number of different elements that you work on. You're not, you, when you talk about uh, executive search, it's not said necessarily that you just simply are focusing on placing a chief executive in a company. You actually do other key people as well. Is that correct? Yes, I believe executive search, although that's our category, is a misnomer. I would call it professional search. Our marketplace are generally mid- to high-level impact players. Might be a key salesperson. Might be a key C-level executive. Uh, so I would have to say we're targeting probably... 35 million, million people in the U.S. that are quite skilled at doing something really well, make a, an extreme impact on their current companies, and with available talent can make impact on other companies. Okay. And you, of course, somehow they're also operating overseas. You have offices there, and um, I suppose to a large degree you work around the clock um, in, in different countries because the 
content is different. Yes, t- today I have interviews going on in 12 time zones around the world, and it's hard to keep track. We do have one of those funny-looking clocks with all those little dials that tells you what time it is in major cities, and we do a lot of our work by telephone, a lot of our work by video conference. My particular office is hooked into 850 video conference centers around the world, so it's pretty pretty easy to get to mid-size and large cities around the world. Okay, that's amazing. I mean, that could really be an indication of what, what is happening in business today. If you can operate on so many major stages um, and different platforms all over, all over the world, well, it's and a never global, even leave your office. It's a global world. economy. And uh, companies that might have a local company, let's say in San Diego, and they have a local market, that's fine. If they wish to stay local, uh, if they wish to grow regionally, if they re- wish to grow nationally or internationally, there are impacts from a global economy. Whether you're a little four-person company in El Cajon, California, or a multi-billion dollar company, you can't get away from it. There is pressure from overseas. There is pressure coming from the U.S. to overseas. So it's one big world of business as we see it now. Okay. Well, tell us, uh, uh, I mean, in relation to small businesses, what services do you provide for them? I know you do more than just simply what your, uh, what your title says, executive search. Well, once you get into small businesses sometimes who want to grow, what do you do with them? Well, first of all, I am a small business person. I happen to own uh, four companies of, of 25 people in size on the average, 20 to 25, and in the past I've spent 45 years of building companies. Uh, so I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always been a small business mentality person, even with a large company, because small business principles are what big businesses thrive on as well, although it's more oiled, more people, more talent. and uh, uh, So I, I like to work with small businesses that reach a point with their current management, with their current talent. Whatever they do, they can't seem to grow revenue or market share beyond that. Okay. So who do you work with in order to help them to grow, mainly with the chief executive? I work with the founders and the principals, and with many companies, uh, including my own, the principal manager is sometimes a uh, an asset and sometimes a problem in growth. Because keep in mind, entrepreneurs, when they create something that didn't exist before, and I like to describe an entrepreneur as someone who creates wealth where none existed before. No one is paying them for their time. They're paying them only for the results. And small companies reach a point with their current management and staff, they can't grow because they're limited in talent. For instance, you, I have a client where the, the, the CEO of a 14-person company doing about $3.7 million a year is an engineer. He's a brilliant engineer. Unfortunately, he knows little about marketing. He knows little about sales. And expanding his business, which has both mostly been receiving orders through mail order contacts, through advertising, without proactive activity, uh, he can't grow beyond that, nor will he give up part of his company to a new manager who knows how to do that. It's his baby, and the umbilical cord is still attached. I have to work with companies where they're actually willing to cut the umbilical 
to bring in talent and work with outside talent than in areas of expertise beyond which they have experience in. That's the toughest part in growing a small company, Terry. Okay, and so when you, when you when you create a connection with a company that is some, like that, probably I imagine that they, they come to you and they say, we're not growing, we need to do more, or do they say we need a specific key person in our organization and then it develops from there? Not really, because many times they don't know what they need. They know, however, what the problem is. So we focus first on what is the issue, what is the problem, uh, let's assume it's growing a market share from a local to a more regional uh, uh, relationship with companies. How are they going to do that? How are they going to reach out? Uh, you, advertising only takes you so far. Websites and Internet only takes you so far. Somewhere down the line, they have to either perhaps hire manufacturing reps to get the word out in a broader new territory, uh, but you have very little control out of outside reps that have multiple lines, including yours, hopefully non-competitive lines, uh, or do you build a direct sales force? How do you build your engineering department? How do you build your marketing team? These are the big issues. They have a problem. They don't know what the answer is, and sometimes it's provoking talent they already have to go in different areas when I work with them. Other times it's bringing in personnel with experience beyond which anyone in that company currently has. Okay, and that obviously is very threatening to many entrepreneurial people because they feel as if they've got to give up part of their, their baby, as you say. You betcha. And it's, it's, a, it's a tough thing. The companies that grow, I, I'm thinking of a company I'm working with right now. They've been doing $10 million a year at a very good profit for about eight years. But the economy is growing. Uh, cost of doing business is growing. Gasoline and fuel is growing. And they're actually, their business is eroding as they stay the same. And their profitability is going down, although sales are, are, are let's say, pretty steady. They They've reached a point where they've realized they don't know what to do next to get from 10 million to 11 million to 12 million to 20 million. And we reach these points. We have these paradigm shifts, you might add, taken from your own program, where somebody realizes, I've got a problem, and I really don't know how to handle it. Right. And so when they have this dealing with you, probably two things are important over there. First of all, if you have a very good faith, personal relationship with that key person in the organization. And second of all, I imagine that you bring vision to the party, a vision that they that they just they can't grasp. Otherwise they would have done it already. It's a it's a vision just based on vast experience. I've been in professional search for twenty two years. I've been in the manufacturing and distribution business for thirty years prior to that. In, in various parts of the economy. So it's just a culmination of a lot of experience. The relationship initially is not always warm and fuzzy because it's like meeting with a, a cardiac surgeon and they have a chest pain, but they don't know what the chest pain is and they're not sure of this guy on the other side of the desk who might have to cut open the chest to solve the problem or just give them a pill to take or tell them to change their diet. Right. So we're, we're entering. Oh, we're going into a break right now. Okay. And uh, just after the break, we're going to be talking about how you as the chief surgeon <laughs> manages to soothe the patient before you go into the big operation, <laughs> as it were. 
So um, okay. I, we, I, stay with us, everybody, because this is going to be the moment where we find out exactly what Harv does to take a business from one particular level up to the next one. We'll be back with you in a moment. Hi, everybody. This is Terry Ostroviak speaking to you from San Diego. My guest this morning is Harv Baron. He's the chief executive of an executive search firm that specializes in growing small to medium-sized companies, helps their market share, their profitability, beyond the level that they can grow on their own. Sounds very much like a quantum leap type exercise to me, too. And uh, we discussed earlier that um, many businesses keep or maintain a certain level of growth and development and uh, don't know how to go further than that. And I'll explained earlier that uh, that's one of the major areas that he works on. How do you make that leap to the next level? Oh, you were talking about being a almost like a surgeon in an operation. Let's follow that, that trend through in, in the next part of our show today and talk more about that. Okay. What exactly do you do? By, by that, I, I, I can be and have to be very objective in, in looking at a company's issues, of looking at a, couple, a company's problems, in looking at the marketplace, the available talent, and a potential company's availability and, and interest in attracting talent. Uh, it's one thing to talk to talent. It's another thing to attract them to your company. So I think when I used an example of a surgeon, I, ha- I have to diagnose what the issues are what the positives are, what the strengths are, what the weaknesses are, and then I can make suggestions into the marketplace on how they might grow their company. Okay. And then once you're doing that, is that the sort of first part of the process? Well, the first part of the process is find out about what they're doing now in managing their company, how they attract talent, how they keep talent. I I, I will give you an unscientific equation that I think is fairly realistic percentage-wise in my 22 years in the professional search field. I'm going to suggest that 20% of the available marketplace that's out there every day is looking for a job. 20% 20% is unhappy doing what they're doing. 20% is unemployed. Uh, this is the same 20% we're talking about. And for one yeah. reason or another, they're available for a job. They're, they've got their resumes on the monster board, on hot jobs. Uh, they're using the Internet. They're looking at web uh, advertisements. They're sending their resumes to hundreds of companies. And companies who are advertising are probably receiving hundreds or thousands of resumes from this group of people. I'm going to suggest there's another 20% of the workforce that will never change, never leave, never make a move for whatever reason. They may have an equity share in their current company. They may be near retirement. They may have married the boss's daughter, and they'll never be able to find another job. And for whatever reason, this top 20% will never leave, and you'll never attract them. You may talk to them, they may show interest, but they'll never leave their current company, or if they do, they'll accept a counteroffer to stay. The marketplace professional recruiters focus on, and where companies need to be aware of, is the 60% in the middle that's essentially impact players, they're happy, they're loyal, they're working, they're not looking for change, but they're not looking for good opportunities as well. These are the people that we talk to and trigger interest where appropriate. Okay. And when and when you say you talk to them, do you generally contact them or do they contact? Well, they obviously can't contact you because they don't know that there's even an opportunity out there. Is that correct? 
That is correct. Uh, we are what is called direct recruiters. We directly talk to the people who are the impact players in a given market. For example, on a typical search, and let's say we need an electrical engineer for a small company, maybe 50 employees, uh, maybe doing about four or five million a year. Uh, they need a strong uh, electrical engineer. They've advertised on their website. They've advertised on the job pages. They've even advertised in the trade journals. They had a lot of responses, but people who were not quite the fit or were not even close to the fit. Uh, what an executive recruiter or a professional recruiter does if they're a direct recruiter, we use the Internet for research only. We do not talk to anybody that has a resume out floating on the Internet because companies can find those people on their own. We work with the company to determine who their direct competitors are, who the people in their marketplace who have maybe the best talent that might be appropriate for our client. Uh, we'll be, I'll give you an example of a very thorough search in just, let's say, San Diego County, and let's say Southern California will include Los Angeles. Uh, I would put a team of six people on the search, two researchers, two project coordinators, two recruiters, and myself will probably, for this electrical engineer, for this company in San Diego, maybe North County San Diego, will target 65 or 75 electrical engineers, and our research people can find them all over the globe, but for San Diego, L.A., Orange County, we'll target about 65. We'll call and talk to each of those 65, or get through to most of the 65, and we will then uh, get referrals and references of probably another 30 or 40. So we'll be very thorough, very in-depth, talking to probably during the course of the surge to perhaps 120, 130 electrical engineers. We'll develop a long list that I'll talk to personally for probably an hour at a time of 12, 10 to 12 people, and we'll then develop a short list of three or four to present to our client. So you do all that work. I mean, you're really sifting through a major basket of talent then. We're very thorough and very complete in the targeted area. Everybody yes. we're bringing to the table has the years of experience the company needs. Let's just give an example. They want an electrical engineer with 7 to 10 years of experience in a very specific part of electrical engineering. We'll only be talking to those people. We'll only be bringing those people. They'll have a certain compensation range that fits parity within their current company. You can't pay a new person coming in uh, more than you're paying an experienced person doing the same job already there. So we have to be within the, the compensation range and also the educational background they're looking for, degrees, double E degree, uh, master's degree, whatever. You know, I just had a, I just had a, uh, an email came in a moment ago, and uh, it comes from from Asia, and uh, the man the man's name is Mir, and he says, uh, "How do you, as a non-professional in the field of uh, of this company, know how to tell if a person has talent or not if you're not in that field yourself?" That's an excellent question. Uh, first of all, with 25 recruiters all very experienced here, we have a lot of expertise within certain industries. But I'm going to say a good recruiter is a good recruiter is a recruiter. And I'll give you an example. A client of mine that works with nuclear physicists, I am certainly not, nor even pretend to, nor am even interested in being a nuclear physicist. I have my client develop 20 questions 
that I should be asking nuclear physicists and the answers I should be hearing to potentially qualify them. So I can talk to any nuclear physicist, go down my list, and I have a checklist of responses based on what my client wants. Okay. And that makes the difference. Now, now let me make make one more add-on. If I am asked a technical question during my pre-qualifying stage of the search, I will tell that individual that question will be answered at your technical interview. I don't even need to get into that. Okay. Very good. Okay. So there's the answer there. Listening. Um, it's very, very helpful. So you, I mean, you get really in depth into the exercise to know who these key people are. And you also have, what do you have to know about the culture of the organization? Absolutely. Uh, you cannot bring a couch potato to a team of triathletes. Uh, the yeah. companies that I visit uh, on many major searches, I'll, I'll go and meet with the company. Not always. Sometimes we can do it on video conference, sometimes even on phone, uh, because you can only travel so much around the world and be uh, productive on, in your other times. But you've got to know the culture. I've got to know the interest and the hobbies. What is the executive team? What do the people do when they're not working? Do they go to a ball game and drink a bunch of beers and eat hot dogs? Or do they go off individually and do their own thing and yet they have a terrific team at work? I really have to know the culture of what the people are doing when they're not working to get probably a strong fit on the working side as well. Yes, I imagine that you have to be a real all-rounder to know those things. Mia says, thank you very much for the answer. He's, uh, he's using Skype, actually, to, uh, send me emails, to send me messages, chat messages. And he said, thank you. Okay. You answered his question well. Thanks, uh, Paul. All right, let's just go on. Um, let's talk about, let's talk about a bit more about small businesses moving forward in, and by having the right people in the right places at the right time. What are the challenges there? The, the challenges are attracting good, experienced talent. I'll give an example of a product I'm, a company I'm working with now in the medical device industry. They have a cutting-edge, unique product, and they're, they're trying to build their own sales force. It's a five-year-old company that has had manufacturers reps selling in various pockets of the United States, uh, not exclusively, but selling their product or attempting to, among other products, with not great success. They're now trying to build a direct sales team. They have brought a, a good, strong sales manager aboard, and now they're building the team. The difficulty for a new company that can't pay all the benefits and all the bells and whistles that big companies come, how do we attract somebody from a large company that's making a considerable amount of money and even with an exciting product and an equity position? And we need somebody with an entrepreneurial spirit who's willing to take a risk to possibly learn earn a little less income in the first year or two for the equity position and the long-term success that a new market share with a new product will bring. That's the tough part of attracting people. Okay. And so you have to, you really have to, um, to find out what it is that they want for themselves and then match them up with the right people. Cor- correct in part. The, the, the difficulty, it's one thing identifying talented people. The client company, with my help, has to be able to attract the talent. 
and, 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 par, and part of it is starting how you interview a recruited candidate. A recruited We're candidate. going into a break half right okay. now, and then when we come back, what, what we could discuss, and I think this would be very valuable, is what does a company have to do to be attractive to that kind of talent? Good question. Uh, there's obviously work to be done there. So when we come back from the break, let's work on that and let's listen to that. Stay with us. Hi, everybody. This is Terry Ostroviak. We're going into the third part of our show today. Our um, subject has to do with uh, finding talent that is not out there in the marketplace looking for new jobs. That's what our guest has been talking about. His name is Harv Baron. He's the chief executive of an executive search firm that specializes in growing small to medium-sized companies, market share, and profitability. Let's just go back to the question we asked a little bit earlier, and that question had to do with, do you remember? Yes. How, how, how do the companies attract the talent? That yes, professional what do they have recruiting? to do to prepare themselves? Right. Now, concept number one, you're not interviewing recruited candidates as people who are looking for a job. You can't sit yes. back, hands folded, saying, why do you want to work here? Because the talent that I'm bringing to the table does not, does not want to work there. They're excited about the opportunity as I explained it. They're excited about the management team and the profitability as I explained it. And they've, they've got the background and experience the company's looking for. But you have to interview a talent like that differently. You have to first sell your opportunity. Now, when we start working together, the company and I, uh, I'm a talent scout. I'm a corporate talent scout. They have to convince me that it's an exciting opportunity for me to be working on, for us to be working on together. Uh, I probably do not work with two-thirds of the companies that we interview with, that they've either been referred to me or I might have even called them on a so-called cold call to introduce our services because I'm not excited about the opportunity is explained to me. I'm not excited about the company, the management, and if I can't be excited, how do I excite other talented people? So first oh. of all, uh, it's got to be an exciting proposition. Mm, that's, a, that's an element that's not very often discussed, is it? <laughs> no, not really. You know, most companies spend all their time trying to impress their clients, but they don't think about impressing everybody, all the stakeholders in their organizations. Mm -hmm. Here, here's how to best explain it, and I explain it to companies that, uh, and let's, let, I'm not a big basketball player, I'm a little guy, but uh, let's use the NBA basketball team as an example. We've got a bench of players, and we've got a, 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 the world champion team from last year, and they're in the playoffs now, and uh, if I knew the name, I'd tell you, I don't follow basketball, but we're sitting, we've got a bench, we've got a coach, and we've got a great team. Now, here, here's... A marketing call from me that that would go to the coach of this world championship team to attract the attention because this is the type of impact players I work with. Here's my marketing call. Coach, this is Harv Barron. I'm an executive recruiter, and I'm currently working with a six-foot, eight-inch power forward. Recently graduated out of the Big Ten. Uh, we're going to put uh, we're going to put the drafts aside. Pretend the drafts don't work. But I'm working with a six foot eight inch uh, power forward from the Big Ten. Averaged 43 points a game in his senior year. Averaged 32 points a game in three years of varsity play. Uh, he's graduated. He's got a degree in. 
believe it or not, mathematics and wants to be a teacher eventually, and he's currently available to interview for your team. Now, the coach will probably not tell me, well, I've got a great team. I've got a full bench. I don't need anybody. We have no openings. I have to present the fact you got to talk to this guy. You need to make an opening, perhaps, because he's available now, and I'm arranging interviews for next week. Terry, these are the types of impact players we work with, not always, but occasionally, and certainly if not the 6'8 power forward averaging 43 points a game, we work with a lot of 6'6 players who are averaging 20 points a game who are pretty darn good. Okay. <laughs> and that's very enticing to the company, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, they must they must be saying to themselves, well, I, you know, I can't afford to lose this opportunity. Do you, then you probably develop very close relationships with numbers of different organizations, and I suppose your staff do exactly the same thing. They, it's all about relationship building with the companies to find out exactly what those companies need. Absolutely. Uh, I had mentioned early on my largest client is about a $50 billion a year company. In three and a half years, I brought them 78 mid to high level management people. Uh, I'm no higher than vice president, but no lower than director or manager. But 78 people that as good as they are and as big as they are, and they're a world market leader in their industry, could not attract this talent on their own. And here's what we have to get to with the small companies. Why is it an attractive place to work? Here's the question I ask executives or managers or owners of small companies. Why should the talent you need to grow that next step Leave a job with seven years' experience, basically happy and loyal and doing a good job. Why would they be interested in leaving perhaps a, a week of vacation on the table, some stock on the table, and make a shift and move their family perhaps across country or across the city to join your company? Give me a compelling answer to that. It's a tough question, huh, Terry? Very, very tough. And I was just thinking at that moment as well, not only are you creating this relationship with this very highly talented person, and probably uh, um, I imagine you keep in touch with them long after they even have the job to check to see that it's working out the way that you originally thought it would work out, but you're also doing exactly the same thing with a company that's uh, attracting talent, and also with the company, uh, I, I, I imagine the company that, that lost that particular individual too. Do you sometimes end up uh, dealing with all three? Not at the same time, but I mean... Sometimes, you're, you're right, but it's the developing relations. I am paid 100% by the client companies that, that, that hire me. There is no right. charge to the people that I bring to them. However, uh, you had mentioned a long-term relationship. The company that I brought 78 people over three and a half years to, I touch base with uh, every single person, certainly in, when they first start, every couple, three weeks to see how things are going. I also talk to the managers of the owners of that department, that division, how, how are they doing, and I talk privately to both uh, to make sure it's working. I'll talk probably every 90 days into years out. I'm, I'm talking to people I placed 10 years ago with companies that are now senior executives, and we talk probably three, four times a year. Uh, when I bring talent to the interview table, I certainly know their name. I certainly know the names of their wife and children. I know the ages of their children. I know the names of their dogs. I know what they like in their current career, but I know more importantly what they don't have available 
in staying with their current company for the next several years, which might be immediately available and that they're experienced and capable of doing at my client company. And by the way, it's interesting, Terry, probably number four on the list of reasons people change jobs is compensation. Ah, that is interesting. What are, what are, what are the, uh, the points that I'll, I'll uh, give you the, cause people to change? I'll give you the points. Let me first give you the pet peeves of what people have in their current situations that when I call them or talk to them or if one of my people talks to them, what interests in them in looking at opportunities. Here's the pet peeves in business, and think of your own company and your own people. First of all, do, all you, right. pay, do you pay attention to your employees? Do you tell employees that they're doing a good job if they're doing a good job? Do you spend most of your time with people who are not doing a good job, helping them or making them or challenging them to get better, and forget the people who you don't need a lot of maintenance, who are doing the good job day in, day out, month in, month out, year in, year out? The pet peeves I hear why people look for change, they're currently working for a manager who does not make decisions in a reasonable time frame, or they're currently working for a manager who makes commitments and promises and doesn't keep them nor communicate the changes in those commitments. Those are the two pet peeves that drive more talent away from companies and to other companies of anything I've seen in the years I've been in the business, Terry. Uh, very good. I think, I think that's, that, that, that's, uh, that's gold-plated, gold-plated advice today for organizations wondering maybe why they why they're not able to keep people. In fact, it even bears repeating very quickly to summarize. What are those two points again? The, the, point, the points are, first of all, if you're currently in a management position or a leadership yes. position, make decisions in timely manner related to product or service or the individuals working for you or the customers. Don't procrastinate. Make a decision. Uh, if the decision is we need more information to make a decision, tell them when, by Friday, by Monday, by Wednesday, and make that decision. Number two, never, ever make a commitment that you do not keep or forget about. Make a note that I've made a commitment. Let's say something changes that does not allow you to keep the commitment. You go to the individual you committed to and you say, this came up. This is the commitment I made. I can't do it. Let's you and I talk and let's devise a better way to do this, a more realistic way to do that. Those are the two tough pet peeves. Wonderful. That's very, very helpful. Okay. What else, Hans? Okay. Makes a difference to, a to, uh, to managing talent. A couple things that make a difference. Um, you, you have to have a product. You have to have a service. You have to have a management team that is attractive to people. In a business sense, you do not need to be a, a buddy. You do not need to be a personal friend. As a matter of fact, I find the best-run companies uh, do not get on the personal side. How do you fire somebody you have a personal relationship with where you go, you know, four or five times a year, you meet with his family and go to bar mitzvahs and weddings? Paul, just after the break, we're going to have a break right now. I'd like to go further into that because I think that's vitally important in this process. Okay. Thank you very much for bringing it up. Let's have a break now and stay with us for the last part of our show. Hi everybody, this is Terry Ostroviak speaking to you from San Diego again. We're in the last part of our show today. We're talking with Harv Baron, who's a specialist in and chief executive of an executive search firm. And he's talking about what 
companies need to do to make themselves attractive to people who have talent. And that's what we were chatting about just before the break. So let's talk a little bit more about that one half. Okay. Uh, let's 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 do continue that a little bit as far as yes, what companies. That's what I meant. Yes, what what companies need to do. You you fir- first of all have to determine what are your assets. And I'm not speaking just financial assets. What are the strengths of your company? What's the strength of your leadership style? Where do you need work? Uh, do you go outside to learn to be a better manager? I'm amazed at the companies that sell products, that have an executive team that hasn't gone to a sales seminar, read a book on sales, become a student of what they do since college or since their first training job out of out of school. Uh, you have to be a leader. You have to be growing. You can't stay the same or everything stagnates. So be attract, to be attractive to others, you have to offer something to them that, that they can't do on, on their own. I'll give you an example. There's, there's a client within walking distance of my company in San Diego that I've brought 38 engineers to over three years. Every day at 9 o'clock, San Diego time, after this program's over, I'll walk across the street, and for one hour, I work on retention management, not only with the people I brought to them or the managers I've worked with, but but the people who came through other sources there. And here's something really interesting. They This company has 680 employees, and they had a turnover rate of 24% a year prior to me working with them. In the last three years now, their retention rate has dropped to a 4% turnover of the manager level or higher, mid-level or higher people. They've got some people in the shop, in the factory, there's a higher turnover rate. But the people they were losing where it hurt were the mid- to high-level employees. And the only thing I do is to sit down with groups of employees, managers, sometimes together in small divisions or groups, and talk about the issues. Talk about what's going right. Talk about what's not working right. I do it confidentially with some groups, and then I'll meet with the managers and say, here's some issues that your team has. I do not bring out individual people. This is not doing as well as it could be. Let's talk about it. So you need within your own company. You don't need a consultant. You don't need an outsider. But you better know what's going on, Terry. You better know uh, if there's any rumbles within your group or where the happiness is. And by that, you can do it management by walking around. Make sure, if possible... In a small company, it's easy. Touch somebody, everybody, once a day, and I'm not talking physically. Spend a moment. How was your weekend? Spend a moment. How did the morning go? Spend a moment. How's it going? Spend a moment. Can I help you with anything? And be prepared to hear yes, and be prepared to take the time to do that. Terry, that's what most companies are missing in growing their companies or maintaining the complement of good people they have. They're losing touch with their key players yes because they, they're concentrating on i don't know what are they concentrating they're concentra- on they're, they're concentrating on the problems they're concentrating on the problem people and it, it's interesting uh when i was building a company years and years ago before you were born terry i had a couple troublemakers in my company it was in chicago at the time and i spent endless hours trying to get them into shape to get them to 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 work well with the people and i was neglecting 
neglecting my top talent. What I should have done was fire them immediately after trying a little bit to help them because I took all my time away from others. And you know what? I had to fire them anyway, but more importantly, I learned my lesson. I lost a couple of key players that I wasn't giving enough attention to, and that's when I learned my lesson. That's when I got a Ph.D. in management in my own little company. <laughs> and anybody could do that very easily just by switching over. Yes, it's an amazing. I, I had a colleague once uh, in, 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 in our organization that changed his whole company around by starting to spend time with his, with his big producers and his key players and uh, just wouldn't spend time with the ones that were failing and nagging and, uh, and were negative. And just simple as that. And uh, eventually they left and he got more and more top-level people because there was a feeling of success around the place, making it that what made a difference. Let's summarize some of the things we've been talking about. Well, I want to make one more statement. Some companies, Certainly. Some companies will never change. Uh, there's a client I've worked with successfully in part. They do about $400 million a year. Their turnover rate is 68 to 70% a year, and they've reached a point where they don't care. It's our way, the highway. The revenues are there. The profits are acceptable, and the turmoil and the angst that's caused by that turnover is okay with, with the company. I helped them a couple of times. I can't help them. So some companies make a decision to work a certain way, and that's okay if it's right for you. But I think in summarizing, and I'd like to leave our, our session today, not that we're ending right this minute, but number one, really determine what's working for your company now. Really determine what's not working Really try to analyze what you need to work it better. It might be one more engineer in the division. It might be a key salesperson. It might be a key marketing person. It might be a good operations person. It may be a good financial person. Where, where's our weaknesses? Where are our strengths? And be bluntly honest with yourself. You don't even have to tell anybody outside of yourself and your own top managers. But determine what's working and what's not working. Many companies don't do that, Terry. They're just yeah, winging interesting. it. They're just winging it. Well, I just had a call in from somebody, not a, not a telephone call, but another email. He said, I found on the Internet that you talked to MBA students, I think, in the San Diego Graduate Student Newsletter, and he asked the question, what is different from the advice you would give to students in 2000 as compared with the, the advice you give now in 2006? I, I, I think... Well, it's, it's a, a tough question, and we don't have a lot of time. There's two things about students, though. We're not growing the talent needed. And I'm going to upset some professors I work with on a regular basis. We're not growing the talent needed for the near future and future needs of this country. And I give right. talks to students, and I say, you've got to have choices. You've got to take math. You've got to take science. You've got to take language skills. And I hear moans and groans so that you have choices, because if you can't make choices with an education, other people will make choices for you, and it will probably be McDonald's or Burger King. But here's something interesting, Terry. I gave a talk to a graduate class, I won't say which school, here in San Diego, on careers, and there were 30 people in the class, and I asked them beforehand to dress as you would dress to go to an interview for your first full-time job. Four people, four men wore suit and tie. Two women had professional dress. The balance of the class was in cut-off Levi's, sandals, shorts. It was a hot day, and T-shirts with obnoxious things on the T-shirts. This is a graduating class. 
going out in the job market in the very near term, and I've asked them to prepare based on their knowledge and skills of how to dress appropriately for an interview and how to study the company before the interview. None of the students did that for the most part. That's pretty scary. Now, I'm not accusing all students of being that way, but we've got to mentally shift some people around uh, to get back to the question that people answer. Yes, I give talks, but uh, first of all, you have to have the right attitude to listen, and I don't know how well that's being taught in the schools. Okay. Yeah, it's amazing, huh? So there's a big, big disconnect there at the moment. In some cases, that's only one example. I'm not saying yes. it's every. No, no, I understand. All right, we've got a few moments to the break uh, before we, we close off today. Let's summarize. Okay. Uh, again, understand your needs, understand your strengths, understand your weaknesses. Be prepared to, to give up something to attract talent. I'm not saying give away the store, but to attract no. talent, you can't attract through regular sources, regular referrals or ads. Um, right. Uh, you know, I, Terry, we covered a lot, and I think to summarize the best is be a student of the business of growing your business. Um, yes. many, many owner managers have degrees in, in, in pharmacy and engineering and marketing and this and that, but they stopped being a student when they left school. Be a student of your business today. That's right. what I find lacking a lot, Terry. Right. I agree with you. I think that's really very, very important. Why don't you just give us uh, your your uh, website address or your uh, email? That's, uh, okay. Let me, let me give, let me give my you. email. Uh, my website address, we're, one of my companies that we're franchised into a company called the MRI Network, uh, M like Mary, I like Irving, uh, uh, MRI, MRI, M, M like... Yeah, just use, just use your, give us your, your uh, email address. Let me give the uh, email address. Mine is, uh, I'll, 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 I'll say it and then I'll spell it. It's hjb at excaliburconsultinglimited.com. That's H like Harold, J like Blue Jay, B like Boy, at E-X-C-A-L-I-B-U-R, no space, C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G-L-T-D.com. And if you have trouble uh, remembering that or you haven't written it down, just write to me, terry at qlcats.com. And uh, if you want to listen to these show, this show again or any of the previous shows that we've had, once again, go to qlcat.com. Or if you need to, email me at terry at qlcat.com to get any information about the show that we had. Hal, thank you very much for what you have talked about today. I think that's been a real lesson. Uh, let's call it a PhD and in, in managing our companies more effectively, given us a great deal of information and insights into stuff that's not often talked about. Really enjoyed having you on the show. We'll see you next week, folks. Thank you so much for listening in today. Goodbye. Okay. Thank you, Jerry.